Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Welcome back, language professionals, to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host. On the eve of Translator's Day, I am excited to bring you today's episode. I'm always excited to bring you all the different episodes. You know, the advent of digital technology has had a profound impact on the interpreting profession. Today, remote interpreting has evolved into a sophisticated field driven by advanced technology and shaped by a complex set of legal, ethical, and professional considerations. This transformation forms the basis of today's podcast, featuring the authors of the groundbreaking textbook on remote interpreting. Today, the authors will provide us an in-depth exploration of the world of remote interpreting, highlighting the vital role technology has played. They'll discuss the vast spectrum of technology competency among interpreters, the diverse platforms used for remote interpreting, and how improvements in resolution, quality, and immediacy have influenced the profession. But of course, I wasn't going to let them get away without sharing their personal stories on them working together on such a robust textbook. So without further ado, please help me welcome the authors of the Remote Interpreter Textbook, only on the podcast that shares your stories about our profession. Let's dive in. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with the authors of a very much awaited for and needed textbook in the field. And I'd like to welcome them by order of textbook appearance. We have several guests here today, and uh, I'd like to name each one of them, beginning with Mr. Dieter Rungi. Dieter, welcome. Good to see you. Thanks, Maria. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. And then Catherine Allen, returning guest. Uh, hi, Catherine. I'm excited to be here, especially for this reason. <laughs> I'm so excited to start uh, the conversation around this. Next, we go with Caroline Reamer. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Mireya, for having us. Really appreciate it. Excited to have you. Thank you for being here, Caroline. Uh, followed by Tatiana Gonzalez-Estari, which again, a returning guest. Hi, Tati. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us, Mireya. Absolutely. And then next is Danielle Meter, another returning guest. Hi, Danielle. Hey there. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. And last but not least, we have Sarah Stockler. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this conversation, you guys. So let's go ahead and get started because there's going to be a lot of learning, I'm hoping, today. So I'm going to begin, I'd like to open up our conversation with a quote. And this quote is from a leading expert of the Blue Ocean Strategy and a global authority on creative transformation. His name is Gaber George Burt. And he's quoted in saying, meaningful innovation does not need to be based on outright invention. Rather, there is an exhilarating shortcut, 
It is based on bold new combinations of already existing components that simultaneously unlock heightened levels of consumer value and reduce costs. And today we will be speaking about not just innovation, but these intersections of innovation that are helping to just increase the standards of remote interpreting. And I have the authors of the book, The Remote Interpreter, as you can see in our backgrounds and excited to begin the conversation with Dieter. Dieter, if you would help our audience get a feel or understand the setting prior to uh, this textbook coming out, what was the landscape like out there in the remote interpreting world and with technology? Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Maria. The, really great question. Um, you know, the, the inspiration for this book, um, I have to go back a few years Uh <laughs> As we we started uh, the Buslingo uh, organization, one of the challenges that you know that we had was you know product was very focused on um, connecting multilingual access to professional interpreters globally, and in the process of onboarding the first thousand or so interpreters into our network, you know one one of the challenges that we had was the spectrum of let's say technology ability and also technology setup with uh, interpreters everywhere it was still largely you know face to face was still largely the, the you know the main way that uh, interpreting was delivered i think it was at that point 70 or 80% of of interpreting was still based in the in the face to face world again this is you know very much still pre pandemic era saw that there was a uh, you know a quite a, quite a spectrum of, of capability and 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 uh experience and uh, familiarity with with using uh, remote interpreting technologies. And it occurred to me that, you know, maybe there was some way we could direct folks to some online training or to some some textbooks or, or what have you. And and quite frankly, the, there was a dearth of um, of books and, and information out there that I was able to able to find I mean there were, there were certainly there were some uh, programs out there that, that touched on it but on a fateful uh, afternoon I believe I was with Catherine actually back in the day uh, at an ATA conference and we were talking about this and she said oh well there's Marjorie uh, standing over at the bar over there I think it was the lobby bar you should uh, you should talk to her about that <laughs> And uh, and so I think it went something like this. I, I you know, I moseyed over to, to the bar and said, hi, Marjorie, uh, my name is Dieter. And I uh, would love to talk to you about, you know, perhaps cross-cultural communications, uh, considering uh, putting together a, a program, a training program and uh, and a book around remote interpreting. It would I think I think it's reasonably important thing to do. And and in Marjorie's usual fashion, she turned me and says, that's great. When are you starting on the first chapter? <laughs> Which wasn't what I had in mind initially. <laughs> but, you know, I'll bite. Um, and we kind of, that's how the conversation started around the, the you know, the need for this, this book. Um, never could I have imagined at that time that it would, it would become, you know, 630 plus page volume one and we, we in the wings we have volume two waiting which will be another 600 plus pages at some point and uh you know there's just a lot of material out there and and it expanded to to really encompass all the important aspects of being a professional 
a remote interpreter right across the spectrum of topics, whether that's, you know, technology-based uh, information and, and learning or just self-help, self-improvement, uh, professional development, legal uh, and compliance considerations, all sorts of things that, you know, we determined needed to, to be uh, included in a, in a book of this sort. And our good fortune that uh, the, the folks from Marty Up Health were also uh, looking to do something like this. And, and we we managed to put together this amazing team of authors from all sorts of walks of life from, from the interpreting space. And uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it took, took a while to get off the ground, but when it did, it really, uh, we really uh, took inventory of things that needed to be in, in a book like this for professional development and, and career trajectory of, of interpreters that want to get involved in, in remote interpreting. Remote interpreting so that, wasn't a, a new concept, of course, right? This wasn't like the new no. innovation that we were talking about. You were looking, or at least it sounds like your idea was to centralize the information in, in a textbook. Or what was that vision that you initially had, which sounds like it evolved after that and took a life of its own, right? A form of its own. Yeah. Was that initial vision. Well, so so the thing, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, telephonic interpreting has existed since the 70s, right? And and uh, I believe it started in Australia, I believe, with initially with their telephonic interpreting programs. And then in the 80s, it took off in the U.S. and, and also in Europe um, and it eventually evolved uh, into video remote interpreting as well. And we, we touch on some of that history in, in the book, of course, but one of the things we noticed when we, you know, when we started Boost Lingo was that there was quite a, again, quite a spectrum of technologies that were being used, lots of different hacks uh, and, and different software programs that folks were using to try to connect interpreters to, to end users to support language access. And, you know, we felt that, you know, there was really a need to sort of consolidate some of these technologies and and create a, a place where a consistent experience for interpreters so that when you walk into a booth or you walk, you know, or you, or you join a particular call that there's some familiarity and, and some ease of use of this technology, mm. but also a process around it. It just seemed to be a lot of different ways that people were approaching this out there and, and definitely a need to sort of consolidate the information that's out there and provide some guidance to, to folks that want to become more actively engaged and involved in, in, in interpreting, uh, you know, remotely. And the challenge really was that, you know, some people were using web conferencing software or Skype or combination of, of who knows what. And so for the end user, you know, the experience also ran the gamut, right? It, it, it could be wildly disorienting and, and awful, uh, or it could be, you know, pleasantly su and surprisingly good and productive and helpful. And, and, you know, those are the moments that we we all like to live in is, is seeing that uh, someone is quickly, efficiently and, and clearly being helped out in an interpreting session through through technology. Ah, uh, yes, the good old days of uh, when we didn't know what to use in order to provide our language services to our LEP community. I remember those good old days. Well, thank you so much, Dieter. I think that definitely sets the stage in terms of, of why the need for such a book. And I do remember at one point hearing, oh, we're going to roll out, you know, remote interpreter textbook. And it was like this excitement behind it because 
I absolutely was one that needed more support. I did not come from the remote interpreter uh, world, nor did I have any practice or tools. And the best thing that, and it was, it was indeed the best thing out there at the at the time, at least that resonated with us interpreters in public education, was a standards of practice document. That was created by uh, back then. It was the AITE work group, and uh, where individuals came together, and so it was like this one pager <laughs> compared to two volumes of a textbook. And this is this was a document that I utilized in order to inform our district administrators on the proper procedures and equipment that was needed for us interpreters to be able to provide. So. If this handy dandy book would have been available, of course, you know, I would have thrown this book at them instead. But <laughs> so it took quite some time. And we know why, obviously, now with all the resources that are included. I'd like to jump into uh, the very first part of the textbook, which uh, chapter one, by the way, of this textbook gives us an overview, a landscape, sort of what Dieter just shared with us with regards to the remote interpreting and the profession, right? Uh, but chapter two, that is also co-authored by Dieter and Catherine Allen, talks about the remote interpreting technology. So I'd like to have both Catherine and Dieter sort of chime in in what we can find in this first chapter and why the need to begin with this type of information first for, for this particular audience. Want me to start, Dieter, or do you want to dive in? <laughs> I'll just start and then I'll pass the baton. Chapter two starts with sort of a historical overview of the beginnings of remote interpreting and and, and sort of the, the history there. And I think it's always important to, to know where you came from, to know where you're going, right? Um, so there's, there's a very sort of quick sort of overview of the growth of the industry. And, you know, the, the thing about it is, and, and Catherine, I'll let you take it from here sort of thing, but we, we started writing this book just shortly before the uh, global pandemic began. <laughs> and... Even at that time, uh, technology was a moving target. A lot of the things were changing in the RSI world very quickly in terms of technologies. Um, and, and certainly in the general interpreting technology world, there were advances almost on, on a monthly on a monthly basis. So to write a technology chapter as it's as it's evolving in front of your eyes is is, is, is also super super challenging. But I'll, I'll, I'll Catherine, let me take take it forward from there. I think this is what part part of the, the fun that we had writing that that chapter, right? Well, I think one way to look at it is if you think there's sort of two main modalities of delivering interpreting, it's on-site and remote. So just think about what, if you think about that, that means that remote interpreting just as on-site interpreting is happening in every setting and every specialization for every purpose. So when some people, when they hear remote interpreting, may think, oh, you're talking about on-demand healthcare interpreting with telephonic or video in a hospital, right? Another person would hear remote interpreting and think, oh, you're talking about when they call me, when I have to do a, you know, like as a conference interpreter, I'm on Skype or I'm on Zoom, right? So we can't really approach the topic until we get a handle around that frame. Like it's a modality that allows interpreting services to be delivered through technology in any kind of specialization or setting. So the, the, that first, that second chapter really tries to categorize, you know, what are the different kinds of technology used for different 
kinds of interpreting services in different settings and for different specializations. So for on-demand, where you have a pool of interpreters in the background and a technology platform that's allowing somebody to press a button and get immediate access, you know, for the purposes of providing language access, you know, to immigrant communities. I mean, that plays out differently in different countries, but that's one kind of remote interpreting technology. And then you have, as Dieter mentioned, right before COVID, and then of course, during COVID, the remote simultaneous interpreting, you know, dedicated platforms trying to tackle how do we do, you know, conference team interpreting with simultaneous interpreting for meetings and conferences, you know, what does that look like? And that's still ever evolving. And, And then you also just have a lot of interpreting that happens that I don't think anybody ever tracks or captures, but which many interpreters work for when you get called to do the deposition and they do it on a Zoom call or you get called to do, you know, the business meeting and you're doing that over Teams. Or I mean, there's a remote interpreting is happening both in a very formal, scheduled, intentional service market demand delivery, and it's also happening more ad hoc, right? So that's what that second chapter tries to categorize and capture. You know, like, how can we think about this? These are the different categories. These are the different kinds of platforms. Here's where they, you know, where they're delivering services. And then the the reader can decide where they fit in that. I can't even imagine what it's like having to <sighs> feel like you've completed uh, a part of the chapter only to, to find out, as Dieter said, <laughs> that something new had changed. How are you tackling these ever-evolving changes as you were working on this topic? I would say, I'll answer and then you, you go, Dieter. One is that there's ov- there's obvious caveats, right, written into any of these technology chapters. Like, as of this publication, this was the norm. So you have to help people understand that, obviously, some of that inf- the specific information may be outdated. But the overall you know, kinds and categories of those modalities isn't going to change. I mean, that that category is still there. So we did our very best to create writing that would allow, give someone guidance, even if the specific technology has advanced or changed, the guidance will still get you to where you need to go. That that was how we tried to approach that. I would, I would agree because foundationally, you know, the way that you deliver uh, telephonic or, or video remote interpreting, the, the general process stays pretty, pretty stable. Um, what has improved, obviously, is the fidelity of the experience, uh, the quality of the video, the resolution of the video, uh, the immediacy of the technology, um, and you know the the user interfaces have become a little more efficient, a little more elegant, a little a little easier to handle. You know, always you know iterative, gradual improvements on the technologies, but also you know contained within that chapter is is definitely some guidance to uh, interpreters to make sure that they are keeping pace with the technology a little bit and being poised for what's coming next. You know as as an interpreter, especially as a remote interpreter, you you are an IT worker to some extent. So it's important, you know, no one's expecting a, an interpreter to become a a programmer or a, or a you know deeply technical uh, IT networking professional. I mean, it, it can't hurt, <laughs> but I felt like I was. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you are, and sometimes as an interpreter, you find yourself uh, troubleshooting for clients and end users. It's it's a fact, but you know the reality is is that the tools are getting easier to use. Um, the experience is getting better, both for interpreters and for for end users. But it's incumbent upon the you know the interpreter to to just 
poke your head out of the gopher hole every once in a while and, and see what's going on in our technology space um, and just keep abreast of what's what's changing. Um, I think it's important just from a professional development perspective and, and also just allows uh, interpreters to take stock of, of where things are headed and maybe where they need to, to, to put some energies in terms of uh, additional uh, IT training and or just information gathering. Yeah, I think that one of those things in the first chapter for me uh, and the first couple of chapters, excuse me, for me was definitely getting a feel for how big, you know, this this specific uh, modality is. And it's global. It's not just for us here in the States. And, you know, even seeing the difference between pre-COVID, you know, that beautiful graph that is included in there and the, the pre-COVID uh, use of technology and then the in in the midst of COVID, but then after to see that that number uh, remained spiked, it didn't go back to what it was before. I think that says yeah. something, and it gave it gave just this perfect visual of what occurred in such a short amount of time. Welcome to the Turn Yourself into a Booked Out Freelance Translator podcast, a mix of both solo episodes and expert interviews. Our ideal listener is an early career, ambitious, and passionate online language services provider. She is committed to professional growth and achieving success in the fiercely competitive translation and interpreting industry. She balances multiple responsibilities with resourcefulness, values mentorship, is open to learning, and investing in her professional development journey. She embraces technology and seeks to optimize workflow eager to connect with like-minded peers and build out her professional network. She is determined to overcome challenges and become a sought-after freelance translator. In the meantime, why not head over to www.entrepreneurialtranslator.com to access all our tools and resources to monetize and future-proof your freelance translation business. And don't forget to hit the plus button in Apple Podcasts or iTunes or subscribe in Spotify to be notified when new episodes drop. For regular tips and insights, business strategy, or marketing techniques straight to your inbox, please sign up at www.entrepreneurialtranslator.com. It really put the spotlight, you know, the, the technology existed up to the lead up to the, to the global pandemic. The global pandemic really put the spotlight on the fact that, hey, this technology is here. It can be used and we all need to continue to communicate and, and provide language access. And guess what? Um, we're, we're ready for it. So uh, during the pandemic, people became accustomed to, to communicating, you know, via the, the various different web conferencing app, applications and video apps out there. And, and so when things kind of restored back a little bit, um, folks were comfortable with it now and it, and it became more part of the the day-to-day life uh let's say for the end user population and and also for interpreters so and and let's face it this technology has opened up opportunities for interpreters in ways that um you know you can be in, uh, supporting a, a as an australian interpreter a overnight uh medical interpreting for a us-based hospital or vice versa you know us-based interpreters or european interpreters supporting Asia Pacific, and you can effectively do your job from any remote location. Um, and so it expands the opportunities multifold. You, you just, you don't know where your next uh, gig could come from, but it could be literally anywhere on the planet. 
and it wearing literally anything if your camera was off, including slippers, right? I, I could still <laughs> do my job in slippers. Yes. That was phenomenal. Sarah. No, I just wanted to include with the slippers. We have some fun Easter eggs and stories that are based on real facts, but no identifying information included of some, you know, interpreters who think they're not going to be on video, but are. So definitely check out the book if you want a fun story about that. <laughs> and that's a great segue, actually, to the very next chapter, which, which was uh, authored by uh, Caroline in setting yourself up to perform remote interpreting. I think one of the, the biggest questions, aside from what technology do I need and equipment, is just getting a feel or an understanding of how to appropriately set up. And there were a lot of misconceptions out there when it came to remote interpreting, including that you could interpret uh with your phone while you're driving right caroline <laughs> oh yeah and i won't name any names either but definitely seen it all um when it comes to what people think they can get away with in a remote setting <laughs> um but it's from those stories from those experiences personal experiences that we created this really nuts and bolts hands-on chapter on how to set yourself up for remote interpreting. Um, and so a lot of it is based on, you know, needs and demands um, and also based on the interpreter's perspective, like from their perspective, what is going to be, be the easiest and most efficient way to get your setup solid for, the, for whatever job you're trying to do. So for the individual that is listening, let's say, and uh, perhaps hasn't yet experienced uh, remote interpreting, what would you say would be those key things that they would need to have just in the forefront and have that knowledge and an understanding because maybe they don't have an understanding of how you can set yourself up? Yeah. So we in this, in the chapter three, we do have a pretty robust checklist that goes through in detail. I'm not going to go through that now and list off everything, but some of what we review is, you know, the equipment, how to maintain the equipment, the, qu the quality of the audio, um, the equipment, the management of the audio equipment. Um, it really does sound like remote interpreters are IT <laughs> technicians at this point. Um, and then, of course, for video, you know, you want to make sure that you have a high definition web camera. Um, we tell you what, what we recommend and what to avoid as well. Um, and of course, these things like the technology chapter are changing um, very quickly, but or or updating very quickly. We also talk about, you know, the actual office set setup. So, how close you should be to your screen, what kind of dress you should be wearing. These are all things that, when you go in person, it it seems sort of self-explanatory to like wear wear the right clothing, right? But you won't. You, you can't imagine how many interpreters I've seen wearing, you know, not appropriate clothing. <laughs> um, and so it's it's seems like these are pretty um, straightforward checklist items, but there's not a place where they're necessarily ironed out in detail or there wasn't until we wrote this chapter. Um, of course, internet and speed is really important and also the resources that you need. So any sort of, you know, setup like for printed or online resources that you might need, like for note taking and that kind of thing as well. So it really goes through everything and I won't go through all of it just because it's long. Yeah, <laughs> but, 
It's yeah, it's a great, actually, very, very thorough checklist that little did you know you actually needed a checklist in order to provide appropriate services, right? Yeah, and like kind of stemmed from just actual experience with on like Data was saying in the beginning, onboarding people from all different walks of technological savviness and making sure that we never assumed that somebody knew how to do something. Yeah, I, I recall, I don't know how many times camera positioning at it being in wrong places, you know, like seeing, I don't know how many uh, dark nostrils for a <laughs> long time because the camera was below, you know, it even just something like that, that you wouldn't think, oh my gosh, do I look like that when I'm, what should I, you know, what should I be using and ha- seeing people sometimes it, it was so helpful which the textbook also includes visuals you know for us visual learners mm-hmm. images of different people's setups and in the beginning I remember someone sharing if you need to put thick textbooks such as this one below your computer or your laptop so that the <laughs> positioning of the camera is correct and do that that way you're not interpreting with your nostrils facing to the camera so even that was important yeah the book is even a prop for set up perfect. Of course, we're <laughs> way past that now. We've got our little. <laughs> we're way past that now. And then in, in addition to to setting yourself up for remote interpreting, uh, the fourth chapter, uh, which was co-authored by Tatiana and Sarah, have to do uh, uh, or has to do, excuse me, with essential protocols and skills. So I'd like I'd like to now switch it over to Tatiana and Sarah and and share with us uh, that or Sarah and Sarah, uh, what were some of these essential protocols and skills that you felt it necessary to include in this textbook? Well, I'm going to start with the skills and Sarah, you can, I think you, you'll be perfect to talk about the protocols. Um, well, we, when we started writing, we realized that many of the skills come, I mean, are shared, um, you know, when you do face-to-face interpreting versus remote interpreting, but we wanted to make sure people understood that at least there are certain things that are basic that need to happen. And even though we don't maybe focus too much on learning all of these skills or preparing because it takes time to get there, um, we had to mention some of these and highlight the ones that were specifically important or especially important to remote interpreting compared to -to face-to-face. So we have things of course, you know, you need to know how to have good memory skills, uh, maybe note-taking skills, different type of skills to make sure that you transfer the message. You uh, make that integration of what you're listening and the processing and all that to be able to deliver it in the other language. So, but with that also comes assertiveness. The fact that you're not physically present in the session makes a huge difference. So assertiveness is is of great importance in remote interpreting. So we wanted to highlight um, different um, skills to make sure that not only you're transferring the message accurately, but you're also behaving in a way that you can manage the session um, the best way possible from a remote location. And, and I think Sarah can talk about protocols a lot. <laughs> Yeah, they're so intertwined, right? That's why the chapter is written in the way it is. So one thing I love that we talked about in that chapter, protocols of transparency, right? So if you're interpreting, let's say in the US in a healthcare setting and you're following the code of ethics from the NCIHC, transparency and intervention are key. And you might think, okay, well, that's true of face-to-face interpreters as well. But 
the thing that you may not realize if you don't have a lot of experience in remote interpreting is you really have to manage that super well for remote interpreting because let's say the call could drop at any moment if you were clarifying with the patient and then you weren't transparent about what was happening you're left with that impression of what was the conversation that was happening, and then all of a sudden the interpreter left. So we go over those details and our experiences of things we've observed over the years and why it's so important that we have kind of a standardized approach, right, to the protocols um, that and how they play out in remote. Any other uh, things that you might want to add with regards to this particular section, Tatiana or Sarah? Well, one thing that I would add, and it goes back to what we started talking about with Dieter, and it's not only we didn't have standards set for technology, we also didn't have standards set for what type of protocols are we supposed to be following in remote interpreting. And basically, the industry took that and each company was training or is training, still training interpreters their own way. And uh, for us, it was important to have some sort of baseline and standard so that that we don't compete about that. And I know this is, uh, what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's tricky and it's very loaded, but I believe one of the articles Catherine wrote and some of the, the comments we've made, uh, we make the, the comparison if each company is training the interpreters their own way. That's the equivalent of each hospital educating their nurses and doctors to become nurses and doctors their own way. So to us, it was very important to establish not only some standards or minimum requirements for technology, also set minimum requirements for the skills that you need to develop and utilize and the protocols you need to follow. And with that, I would also say to answer the question of what kind of code of ethics or code of conduct am I supposed to follow? Because so far it's only been based on my physical location. So that's I huge. That. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Caroline, would you like to add to that? Are you hungry for more knowledge and eager to perfect your interpretation craft? The Academy of Interpretation offers a wide range of courses, workshops, and language testing to elevate your interpreting skills. I know firsthand how challenging our job can be, but that's why Brand the Interpreter exists. And now, the Academy of Interpretation is here to support your journey even further. Trust me, their resources are a game changer. I've had the pleasure of collaborating with their team on multiple occasions. So why wait? Visit their website today academyofinterpretation.com, where excellence in interpretation begins. Yeah, I just wanted to add, you know, one of the most special things I think about this work of, of art, I can call it, is that we all come from different, you know, different spaces and different companies. You know, when we first started this project, it was very much a collaborative effort, um, you know, to create something that was going to be standardizing across the industry and not from the perspective of one LSP, but from the perspective of all the different types of players we could, we could gauge knowledge from guest authors, all the things. Yeah, that's huge. 
That's huge. And actually, one thing is standards. And then another thing is uh, the evaluation of, of whether or not we're following these standards, right? How, how are we to determine that we are doing a good job if there is no sense of maybe like uh, we call it in, in well, in our school district, the rating uh, rubric, right? How how do we know how we're performing? And for that, actually, there is a chapter, chapter five, which Danielle Meter is the author of the remote interpreter evaluation. And I'd like to give Danielle now the opportunity to sort of expand on, you know, what were what were those things that you felt it necessary to include, particularly coming from your particular background? Sure. Thank you. And so I'll just before I get to that piece, I'll expand on what Caroline said. You know, we had different players at, at the table writing this book. Uh, one, we had never met each other in person. Um, I think I've I've met Dieter twice, Catherine twice, Caroline once, Tati and Sarah, who I actually work with currently uh, a handful of times, right? So a four-year project with virtual friends and in-person strangers, really. And then the language diversity that's represented. I'm a sign language interpreter and you don't often see sign language and spoken language and lockstep together. And it was really important to us to show that what's good for the goose is probably good for the gander in a lot of ways. And the self-evaluation tool is, is kind of the marriage of that. I've had the incredible, incredible honor to work with uh, Rocio Trevino. She's a nationally certified Spanish interpreter for many, many years. And with her support guidance and that of several other people, Lavona Andrew, a sign language interpreter out of Utah, and several others with their experience to help create this self-evaluation tool. And to what Tati was saying, if one hospital trains their doctors how to do one thing and you go to a hospital and you do it differently, it doesn't work. And that's kind of how self-evaluation is or if or QA even exists. And then I get to meet Sarah through this textbook and then Sarah and I work together and then she gets to be a huge part of this process and, and really fine tuning and bringing it across the finish line. And it really is a language neutral baseline for all interpreters to do peer evaluation, self-evaluation so that it's not just finger in the air. That's kind of what went well or what didn't, but really give interpreters language and a framework for evaluating themselves, but much like the rest of the book, the book is a framework of guidelines and best practices and recommendations to how to do the job. Because if you look at it at the end of the day, who's depending on it? And if every interpreter is doing it a very drastically different way, then it only hurts the folks who are most dependent on it. And that was a real important priority for us as we wrote that the interpreters and the people we serve were at the forefront so that everything we were doing was about that and and being really sensitive to that piece. And so chapter five is my baby and something that I'm really, really proud of. And we'll talk about that and communicative autonomy until I'm blue in the face and it'll end up on my headstone. Um, I'm sure she died supporting the communicative autonomy of all and self-evaluation of interpreters. Punto period done. Um, but I it really is um a nice way for interpreters to talk about the work and talk about best practice on how to move forward. And I, it's often lived behind the curtain of a lot of providers or some LSPs probably don't even have anything to help interpreters know where to go and improve. Exactly. And it kind of puts it out there in the open for everybody to, to follow without bias. 
You have several chapters in the textbook, actually, Danielle. You have chapters. Oh, no, I do, yes. <laughs> a guide to ethics and remote interpreting co-authored with Marjorie. And then you have uh, chapter nine and chapter 10 as well. Anything that you'd like to highlight about those specific chapters for the audience? Um, I would say the one that I uh, was able to write about the laws that impact interpreters is that you... And Dieter said this in the BQB in Australia and your fuzzy slippers, right? Um, you have a global client list and it is your responsibility to know what's tolerated, allowed, and expected. So as a sign language interpreter in the United States, there are over a dozen states with state licensure requirements. And if you are an independent practitioner or you work for an agency, that chapter really just helps set the tone about responsibility to know you know, there's GDPR, there's the uh, ADA and, and HIPAA and all those things. So it's it's not exhaustive, but it really does give a look. And we cover lots of laws in lots of countries. While most of us are permanent residents of the United States, there's that one guy from down under who goes back and forth. Um, we really tried to make sure that the book was for a global audience because it is a global workforce and a global client list. And then there's this lady I know, Maria. She has a podcast. You might know it. Um, she helped with a portfolio chapter and it was, it's pretty good. Now check it out on how to have a digital presence and footprint and kind of what to do. So that was fun. <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Uh, Catherine, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, I did. I wanted to, well, first of all, yes, we have to, Danielle will indeed go to the grave <laughs> shouting out, you know, the fact that the communication is supposed to be in the hands of the people communicating and not all the other things that can get in the way. And so I, that's one thing I love best about you. Um, but what I, what I wanted to add to those chapters, I, I, one of the biggest challenges that the remote interpreting world has is the fact that people are working that's not geographically located right and so you know you have interpreter before when we come up and we get trained and we're healthcare interpreters in the US and okay great we've got this development of our profession and now we have standards you know and and a code of ethics and standards of practice that tell us you know how we're supposed to behave and the court interpreters you know have very specific ethics for how they are supposed to behave. Well, Canada, guess what? Canada has that and Australia has that and the UK has that and parts of Africa have that and Asia has that, right? So if you're an interpreter who is getting, you know, not bounced, but are working across these kind of geographic lines, it we actually have, there's, it's, it's on us as well as the, I think the companies that we work for or that, you know, whoever our clients are to actually make sure that we don't forget Okay, how are we going to provide a frame? How how can we be make sure that we're following those ethic those ethical, um, you know, standards and how and how they differ and how they change? And this is something that I think is very new in the space. But it's some. But I am very 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 proud of this these the ethics chapter, and as well as the law laws chapter because it's not just about listing what the different laws are in a few of the cu countries. As, and with the ethics, oh, here, look at all these different ethics. It's more about, hey, what what is a fairly standardized ethical approach if you have no code of conduct to follow? And if you are an interpreter working in these different areas, here's guidance for how you can make sure you know which ethics you should be aware of and find out whether you're expected to follow them or if you know, you know, 
um, you know, that, okay, well, I'm in Canada, I'm, you know, I may be working between Canada and the U.S. Well, they've got differences in the way the healthcare ethics apply, so I better have a handle on it, right? So it does put more, it does, it tries to standardize that, but it is a new thing. It is something that's legitimately different. It's a different challenge than on-site interpreters face, right? And so this is a first attempt at really providing some robust standardized guidance, which I hope people will pay attention to because we need to tackle these topics and and actually have a lot more awareness and strategies for them, for the interpreter and for the companies that are working with the interpreters and hiring them, right? Absolutely. Danielle? Yeah. I'll just add, we are not lawyers and we are not professing to be ethical experts top to bottom. So uh, we gave really strong chapters and dedicated a lot to that. Um, and then to make sure that interpreters still have that responsibility to to pursue. And just like the technology has continued to grow and evolve since we even started this, laws and all sorts of things continue to change, but it gives you a, a place to start. Most definitely a place to start. So it, this particular volume has a total of 10 chapters. Uh, both Tatiana and Sarah actually do have a couple of more chapters that they contributed to addressing communication breakdowns and also professionalism in remote interpreting. But I'm also curious as to the experience of so many authors coming together to put something so robust out in the community. What was that like? Anybody care to share that experience? What was your most memorable experience? Let's let's share with the audience about working with so many authors uh, to put something like this together. If I could go, interpreters are super eclectic and we all are weird. So when you put all of us in a virtual room together, it's like, I don't know, I just feel like it could be ripe for strong personalities and opinions and passions. But, and I can't say I've ever written a book with other people before, but I've never done a four-year group project. And I will profess, I hate group projects. Like I'll do the work by myself, but this was the one group I've in my life and career and education that I, I, I just, there was a synergy and, and deep, profound respect for the corners of the industry we came through and there's overlap, but there was never, we truly made space at the table and we shared the spotlight across the board. And that I think is really rare in general. And I just, it's been so cool. And as the non-spoken language interpreter, I was super anxious because I'm also the only one who doesn't have fancy letters behind my name for the record. But um, it just was like, just so cool and weird and fun. And then when we all met each other at Gala in Dublin, it just was like the strangest reunion because we've all not met in person together. And it was like, we've worked 20 years together instead of four. It's just Who was it, the shortest. When oh, you met in person. Who Caroline's was the, shortest? the shortest. Oh, I'm most definitely the shortest. There's a picture of us at the, at the gala book launch that will illustrate that quite well. <laughs> That's always and, me. That's always me. Peter's tall. He's tall, but like <laughs> taller than I expected. <laughs> Yeah, but I'll take, Gal- I'll take that. I'll take tall. <laughs> Gala was Gala was really special. I will just echo that, Danielle. Like it really felt like you know how you you're friends with someone for a long time and then you are nervous to see them and then you see them and it feels like you saw them yesterday. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know I would absolutely echo that. That there's a lot of love amongst this group of authors. I love 
a love for the industry, a love for interpreters, and uh, a real level of love for each uh, the, ent- the entire author team. It really was special for us, for us to actually meet in in Ireland together like that was um, <laughs> just you know unprecedented and, and, and amazing. And it did it, it felt like you know we'd known each other for for twenty years. Um, uh, writing this book felt like twenty years. <laughs> 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 but it's important, you know, and, and it is. And, you know, I, I hope some folks read the, the forward uh, in the book because it really is a love letter to the interpreting community. We we really I think we all feel very, very passionate about uh, interpreting and and remote interpreting and, and the technology and the process and, and the people. And, and this book really is for 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 by interpreters, for interpreters. You know, it really is a, a love letter to the interpreting community. I love that. A love letter to the interpreting community. I also really love the fact that both the spoken language interpreters and the sign language interpreters uh, came together. In this case, Daniel Meter with uh, everyone else being able to just so that we can see firsthand that there's actually more similarities perhaps, and there are differences. And I'm not saying this is the first time this occurs, but this is the first time in my experience that I've experienced finally seeing a collaboration between uh, these two specializations. And um, it, it's it's beautiful. Something I, I'll just take, make a little short note that at the beginning of, of, of Boost Lingo and, and as we were onboarding interpreters, I love working with, with ASL interpreting companies because uh, ASL interpreters came uh, to, to the party relatively prepared uh, because they, they've, they've been using, you know, various forms of, of video interpreting technology struggled through various forms of video uh, interpreting technologies for years and so it was some of the be- much much be- better experiences initially just from a technology perspective everybody i think is you know super keen to to learn how to to be a professional video re- remote interpreter but it was something that we noticed right out of the gate is that the ASL community had done a lot of the like been in the wars for a while and then done a lot of that heavy lifting for the rest of us in the in the interpreting uh, world. So I think, you know, that was that was very special for us. No kidding. Yeah. And I, and I, I shake my head. I nod because I, I feel like that's uh, one of the communities that I went to and sought out assistance. This was before the whole remote thing and everything, just in creating some structure for educational interpreting. And uh, this is when I first came across, oh, they've already got this down for, you know, sign language interpreters and education. And there was a lot of things that I was able to pull and utilize uh, in the creation of our own systems in education. So I completely agree with that. Yes. I mean, I'll say I've been a sign language interpreter for 17 years and have worked remotely on video for 16. So to Dieter's point, we've there, there were those days in the early days that were quite interesting. Snap, snap. Tatiana? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to go back to like the stories or what has kept us together. <laughs> so to me, uh, a big part of this is the trust that, that we have the transparency that we have kept uh, as much as possible, you know, through this project. Um, of course, there were ups and downs and, you know, very early morning meetings for Dieter, pre-coffee meetings, uh, very late meetings for some of us to, um, you know, life was happening, of course, but we try to keep the we try to keep it um, very transparent or as much as possible. We 
understood early on that we needed to trust each other, even even though we barely knew each other. But we knew about each other. We yeah. knew about our work. We and and yes, we had a glue that brought us together at first, which was uh, Marjorie Bancroft and cross cultural communications, and also the trust that we had on her and and, and her team. Uh, at least to me, was something important. Like, okay, I, I think I can trust this guy, Dieter, this lady in California or the other one in Texas or whatever. So, um, and then people who talked to me about Danielle Meter, and I already knew Sarah. So I, that was, that was, that one was easy, but, um, you know, Hey, how about you talk to this other person? This is the person's background and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's pretty much what we knew about each other. But then, um, as we started working and especially when you have to work on things that are tedious, for a textbook, like because if you, <laughs> if you tell me citations, oh, yeah, talk well, to me. <laughs> is the best. If anyone needs to get citations done, she's she's open for for contract. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll be a very expensive <laughs> contract. But um, so when you know, if you tell any of us, oh, tell me about technology, tell me about protocols, self-evaluation, how do you do this? Or, you know, and or how to work in an educational setting or healthcare, blah, blah. We're all happy. We all jump at the opportunity to say things, right? But when it comes to putting together a glossary, uh, a list of citations and bibliography, uh, making sure that the images were attractive and cool enough for this textbook, and designing all that and I'm missing one. Oh, the checklists, making sure that we have enough tools to give to people so that they can use different ways to learn. We we started to realize that we were truly learning who each person was, what our strengths were and what our areas of improvement were too. <laughs> but we took all that and we distributed work in a way that it was good for everyone. Like we were really taking the opportunity to leverage our strengths. So I wanted to mention all that because I think that has been key in this project. Definitely. I think it demonstrates, right, the group project and uh, that that sy- synergy that is needed, but also that it doesn't come without its challenges and its difficulties, right? And you still push through. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, the fact is, is that writing can be a very isolating experience, right? So there were opportunities for us to edit and review each other's peer review, each other's uh, chapters. And and everybody did uh, a really great job of, of just providing really constructive, um, you know, engaged feedback uh, in all the chapters. We really, I mean, we really cared about getting the best possible book out there. And that meant everybody sort of had to you know, spend time with each other, look, looking, looking it over and providing thoughtful uh, feedback, uh, you know, across the entire book. And the other thing, too, is this, this book is imbued with the expertise and, and, and experience from folks throughout the industry that we collectively, we all, you know, we all sort of, we go to different conferences and we know different folks, different parts of the industry. And, and we've been so fortunate to have uh, input from from really really special folks out there in the industry who who have provided 
you know, either anecdotal stories or, you know, a quote here or there, uh, or took took a few moments to, to provide some information that uh, we wouldn't ordinarily, I don't think authors always, you know, have that kind of access. Collectively, we had some pretty, pretty special access to thought leadership and uh, experience that hopefully shines through in the, in the book for, for, for the readers uh, that, that do read this book. It helped to have some heavy hitters like a Dieter and a Catherine and a Marjorie on the author team to open some of those doors for us. That's right. Well, I, this is Catherine. I would, I, I love that question about how the group worked because I actually, the, the personal and individual stories are, you know, of course what we treasure and carry with us. Um, but that, but actually for me, I've been in this profession long enough to have seen some of the specializations found, both get founded and then develop into what we consider developed to some degree, right? So I came into this profession at the beginning of the, really the professionalization and the formalization of healthcare interpreting. I came in as an educational interpreter. I mean, that was where I first did most of my early community, you know, before ethics, before anything. And then I spent, you know, 25 years helping focusing on the healthcare interpreting side build itself only to now see educational interpreting, right. You know, be in a very similar moment and, and actually now have a perspective that I did not have 25 years ago that, Oh my gosh, you know, small groups of people working really hard on these foundational pieces of a profession can make change happen fast. Right. And, and that would make legitimate, like it really helped turn something that's kind of a, as we've been talking about, a varied mess, you know, it into something more formalized and and robust and credible. And so I give that as framing, like this is a small group of people who have a broad, you know, variety of background, the right kind of background. And our goal for me, certainly my goal for this textbook is to, is that it be one of those foundational pieces that can get us away from language service companies having the burden of training interpreters because there is no expected norm or set of norms, you know, across the board for it when you're working remotely um, to actually having, hey, here's a first stab at standardization. Take it, improve it, use it, create guidelines. I hope professional associations pay attention to it, not just the people who are working in, you know, in the interpreted moment, right? So, I know that's a little grandiose, but like to me, that's a hundred percent what I hope this volume and what the second volume will lead to that 10 years from now, we'll look back and go, look, we have all these training programs on remote interpreting and they all kind of agree on the content and they have an agreement about what the skill set is and what should be included in it. So I love that. No, and you had shared pre-session too, um, uh, that a textbook can be transformational. Yeah. And I feel like that's exactly what you're saying with 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 this, right? And and what the expectation is. And it's a great segue actually to asking all of you, what what is your expectation or what are your hopes uh for this textbook? I'll begin with Caroline. So my hopes are that it gets adopted widely. I mean, not just as a you know, I'm not just trying to sell it. I just, I really think that this is going to lend some guiding light for the industry to, um, to follow certain standards, to follow, to follow one, you know, practice or set of, set of guidelines. And so I just hope that it's really adopted widely. And I hope that people don't get scared by the girth of the book. (laughs) (laughs) 
love it. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Lots of great stuff in there. Sarah? Yeah. Just to piggyback on what Caroline said, I really hope it's taken and just taken advantage of, highlighted, underlined. I mean, there are so many practical tips we put into this book. Um, I think we've mentioned a couple times that most of us in the author team have been interpreters and have been remote interpreters. So even in addition to our experience and our different roles throughout the years, we kind of put together this book to be everything we wish we could have been trained on from the get-go, right? And everything we wish could be just public knowledge and not kept behind secret corporate doors. We want this to be free information for everyone. This is the baseline. This is the standard. So I really hope people take advantage of it. I think it does a really good job, like all of the CCC textbooks and having very accessible language. We did that intentionally for our global audience and for people to really dive into and not feel like it's an academic, you know, manuscript or anything like that. It's very accessible. It's fun to read, very practical. So I hope, I hope people take advantage of that and enjoy it and find me on LinkedIn. Ask me any questions about the chapters I wrote. If you want, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Like we've seen today in this podcast, it's just a fun topic for us as authors to, to talk about. Absolutely. Danielle? I, you know, I, I hope they read it. I hope they take pieces of it. And it really is for the new interpreter and the seasoned interpreter and working remotely is just part of being an interpreter. I think I, I've talked to lots of interpreters who are at this point post post when I, and you can't see, but my quotation marks of post pandemic, right. Are that and most interpreters are working remotely. You know, and we have an incredible responsibility as interpreters, and we set the tone for what to expect from interpreters and working remotely with no standards or best practices for however long someone may have been doing that. Well, there's not an excuse anymore. And, you know, I echo what Sarah said. I'm not trying to hawk the book and sell a book, but really it is something that we have a responsibility now that we have access to information and to best practices, because as interpreters, we're the only ones who can advance the profession forward. We have a lot of power and privilege in that and in that knowledge and just expecting more of ourselves and the and the profession and really having to remember at the end of the day, that it's about the people who are dependent on our language access services. And we can really set the tone for someone to hate working with interpreters or not expect what an interpreter should do or understand. And there's just something in the book for everybody. And we really do love what we wrote and want to hear from you. And everyone should find us on LinkedIn because we're all pretty active on there. And we all have um, lots of things we'd love to tell you that can't fit into a podcast. So we want to reach out and, and engage with you. So it's been uh, it's been an absolute labor of love. And it's like birthing a baby. We're happy it's in the world. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dieter. Yeah, I would, I would echo that sentiment. And that is that... For interpreters that read, you know, that pick up this book, um, I would hope that no matter where you are in your your professional trajectory, where you are in your career, that there are things in this book that will be useful all the time and in perpetuity. Um, and there'll be some new things in there that that might be of interest, but that there's always there's some something there's value in it for interpreters, no matter where they are in their in their profession or their career. Uh, through this volume and, of course, to the sister volume uh, that we will release uh, uh, following this book. Um, but there's always something there that they can go to. 
And, um, you know, certainly technologies are going to change. Um, and, you know, in future editions, we will have to update certain things here and there. But that there's some things in there that are tried, tested and true that will still hold true down the road. Um, you know, I think being an interpreter is, is, is an immensely important profession. And, you know, this this book will help folks in their careers and, and help in certain instances, there may be information there that, that is helpful. And along, I, along with everybody else, would encourage interpreters to reach out to all of us. I would rather talk to an interpreter on any day than, than anyone else on this planet. So, uh, you know, interested to hear stories from the road, interested to hear um, if there, you know, there was something useful or helpful in the book, um, or interested to hear if there's something that um, is missing or um, needs ex- you know, some expansion or, or additional development, something that we can chase down and, and improve about the book as well. So definitely want to get that feedback loop happening. Love it. Thank you. Tatiana? I'm sure I'm going to mention things that overlap with what everybody has said so far. Um, I want people to have fun with this and, and also be the first attempt to educate uh, remote interpreters in a way that hasn't been done before and also um, help with professionalism, of course, as we are mentioning. But I also want it to be a conversation started, starter. <laughs> and also I would like it to inspire research because many of the topics we have here are important and are very decently developed in this book. But I still consider there's a lot more to do and a a lot more to study from a research perspective, not only to obtain data about, you know, uh, what modalities being more utilized now or something like that. But there are many other things, practices that need to be um, tested, honestly, many, many of these. So I hope this book inspires uh, research. And um, I want to add something to what Sarah was saying. Sarah was um, talking about how accessible this textbook is, and that is true. But also, it's so versatile that you can use it as a, you know, as a tool to educate yourself, but also can be utilized by different organizations, universities, colleges. It's written in a simple way, but in a also very... Um, high level that it can be utilized for developing different courses and trainings in different um, at different levels and organizations. That's a nice way of Tati saying she we all wrote to take over the world and this book will help do that. I love it. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I could say that here, but you know. I'll say it for you. That's okay. <laughs> Any last thoughts? on on the experience or just on this topic of remote interpreting. Sarah? If I may, I just want to give a shout out. So obviously this book took a village to write. We're a huge author team here today. And we've made mention of a few other folks who contributed to the book. But I specifically wanted to call out um, contributing authors Maha Elmetwali, Analia Lang, Liana Mansour, Gabby Maldonado and Monica McCartney. They're all folks who contributed, um, as well as some special contributions from Sarah Hickey and Rocio, I believe Danielle mentioned as well. So special shout out to them and thank you so much. 
Yes. And that is the perfect reflection of Sarah's attention to absolute detail. (laughs) Perfect. Like that is who she was for sure in this whole experience. That was lovely. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, I just would like to, you know, for me, one of the hopes I, you know, some of the hopes I said is I hope it'd be foundational. But for me, we have fought so hard in the last 40 years to gain recognition for the interpreting profession across the board, across the settings. And we've made a huge strides, especially for on-site interpreting, right? And yet we have also developed a parallel group of interpreters working around the world who are working remotely, who are kind of the stepchild, the hated, the ugly stepsister, <laughs> you know? So I mean, there's, there's just, a, it's, it's a little bit how it felt like when, you know, when medical interpreters started going in and legal interpreters would look down their nose at them. I mean, you just seems to be an inevitable part of human nature. But for me, this is, we have, you know, our brothers and sisters, our colleagues are working all over the world in what is arguably the most complicated kinds of interpreting interactions, you know, especially for people who are being bounced into different settings with very little ability to prepare, you know, or, or know where they're going into. And it's a huge ask. It's critically essential work. It Lives depend on it. Well-being depend upon it. And I just, I hope that in the end, if, if, we, if we do anything, we help raise the profile and the respect and the credibility of the remote interpreter. Love it. Thank you, Catherine. Tatiana? <clears throat> Yeah, I was going to add to the village of people. Um, of course, you see these faces or you hear this vo- these voices. You heard names from Sarah, but there are many, many, many more who contributed to not just directly to, to the textbooks, but also indirectly. And of course, we have to mention our families, friends, colleagues, like every single person. Danielle's grandma knows about this textbook. My family, everybody, like we, I, I even had to ask uh, my high school friends about certain things to get some ideas for analogies that we were using in the textbook. So this was a huge collaboration, but with a lot of support, not only um, from a professional um, standpoint, but also personal standpoint. And of course, all the different organizations that we have, that we work for and we have worked for throughout these years, um, because if it wasn't for their flexibility, patience and support, we couldn't have done it. Very well. Well, how many times do we get the opportunity to hear firsthand from the authors of our favorite textbooks. And today you have them all here present, willing and ready to share all of the information, some of those funny stories uh, in the background, right, right, of what was occurring. And of course, those challenges of working with such a dynamic group. Uh, I want to say thank you so much. Danielle says it was a sassy group. Thank you so very much for the opportunity to have you here today on the Brand the Interpreter podcast to share your stories, your experiences, and of course, pushing out uh, the awareness that this book exists now, folks. There is no excuse to keep going, uh, doing your job blindly if you've not had the opportunity to have some sort of written uh, information standard, just everything that was put out in this book uh, by these folks here today, you have the ability now to go out and find this book. Matter of fact, where can our listeners find the textbook? So if you're watching a part of the clips, on a YouTube, we have a QR code. Otherwise, it's with cross-cultural communications. 
uh, where you can order the print paperback copy of it, um, as well as the ebook there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Danielle. And of course, you've already heard everyone is on LinkedIn as well. So I will make sure to include all of the LinkedIn links in the episode notes. Make sure that you go down to the episode notes uh, to check that out. Tatiana? Yeah, I was going to say that you can also find a textbook on Amazon. So Mm -hmm. that's another way to get it. Yep. Or you can find us at ATA where we will um, gladly hold it in front of you and say, here's a QR code and look at this chapter. Isn't it so pretty? You know, you want one. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so very much, everyone, for the opportunity. It was a pleasure having you here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you you so much. Bye, everyone. Thank you. As the only national on-site and online training agency in the world devoted to training interpreters, CCC, through its imprint, Culture and Language Press, also develops textbooks that have become standard in the profession. Globally, CCC is the only dedicated publisher of quality, comprehensive textbooks and workbooks for community and medical interpreting. Sold to 30 countries and all 50 U.S. states, more than 90 colleges and universities purchase CCC textbooks. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the Connect With Me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.